0: Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ.
1: Amen. Well, good morning. That was so good. That was so good. I the the this That's the best good morning you've given me in nearly two years. And I'm just so proud of you guys. So proud of you. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, hold them up or your lightsabers, either one, you know. Now take them and open them to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. That's where we're going to be here in just a few moments as we continue to look at this idea of our relationship with the different parts of God, God the Father, God the Son, and now today, God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, you know, uh, within the churches of Christ, we've had, I believe, an interesting uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit kind of throughout our history, and it can kind of be summed up uh, in the text message that uh, I sent uh, Judd earlier this week. He sent me a message one morning, and I think it was at like 6 or 6.30. Like it was for me, it was early. I don't know what time you get up, but it was before I got up. And so my phone buzzes and I reach over and I look at it and it's Judd. He goes, what are you preaching on Sunday? This was like Tuesday, wasn't it? Something like that. And I wrote back what I thought said Holy Spirit, but it said Hilt Sprite. (laughs) And I looked at it later that day and I'm like, he probably has no idea what I'm preaching on. And I thought, Hilt Sprite, what is that? And that thought, what is that? I think sums up a lot of people's thoughts on the Holy Spirit within our fellowship. When we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being part of God and, 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 and someone that God, Jesus promises, hey, look, I'm gonna send my spirit to you, a lot of times that's our response. Well, what exactly is that? What does it mean? The Holy Spirit's gonna indwell in us. Well, what does that mean? What, what is this third part of God? You see, I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times we think, we think that we can put God in a box We can understand God. This is my God understanding box. And we've got a lot, we think, oh, we do. I mean, none that we think. We've got a lot written about God in this book, don't we? A, A lot. And then we have a lot written about Jesus, don't we? And we think we have got our kind of Jesus box of understanding. Okay, I can understand God and I can understand Jesus because there's a lot written about him. But then we get to the Holy Spirit and that one throws us for a loop because he is a little bit harder in our mind to fit into an understanding box. Now, the truth is, can we ever put God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, can we ever put them in a box of understanding completely? No, because he's God, they are God, and we're never going to fully be able to comprehend. But that third part, while we consider the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, man, that is a part of God that we have struggled with. Isn't it? And so this morning, what I want us to do is we're gonna look at our text, we're gonna look at our passage uh, here in just a few moments, but I want us to, to maybe take a snapshot, take a snapshot of some things about the Holy Spirit as we get started here. The first comes from the very beginning of Scripture, and we all know this. In the beginning, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the What? The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So from Genesis chapter 1, before Jesus is ever even mentioned, who are we introduced to at the moment of creation? The Spirit of God. And a lot of times we think that the Holy Spirit's kind of in the background, kind of doing, from the very beginning of scripture, it is there to let us know that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, this part of God is powerful, He is present, He is important okay? And he is right there for us to start seeing. You re- you would, if you really take the time and study, you will be amazed at how involved the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament. He is there. He is present. He is active. And a lot of times we want to kind of equate the Holy Spirit with New Testament type of stuff, don't we? With spiritual gifts and healings and those types of things. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is present from the very beginning of creation. The next thing that I want you to think about for just a second is Acts 2 verse 38. That's kind of, as as the members of the Church of Christ, that's kind of one of our verses, right? It's one of those First verses that we learn. Why is that? Because Acts two thirty eight teaches what? Teaches what? It's a little bit louder, somebody. It teaches. We always say repentance and baptism. Is that true? teaches repentance and baptism. And so we always go to that. But there is something powerful from this passage that we all, we always want to focus on repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But there's an even equally more important part of that verse. And what does it say? And you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. You see, at our baptism, it's not just forgiveness that we receive. It's the promised Holy Spirit. And some people like to say, well, but that was just a promise for then and there. But if you keep reading verses 39 and 40, Peter's going to go on and say, this is promises for you, for the generation to come, the next generation to come, and all those generations that are far off. So it's a promise. We we fall in that category of generations that are far off. So he promises us, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, within our fellowship, within our, our, our church brethren, there are a couple of different views of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people, and you may fall into that camp today, a lot of people feel that the Holy Spirit only lives through the written word and that he's not... An active part of our life in dwelling within us. But I really believe that scripture teaches the contrary of Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we've got Acts 2.38 says that we've been given the promise. Romans chapter five, verse five says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Then we go to eight, verse one or verse 11. Let me back up, get ahead of myself here. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is what? Living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And I love the power of this verse because what, what does it take to bring life to something that is dead. Do you have that power to bring life to something that is dead? None of us have that power, do we? None of us have that ability. But this passage says that the what raised Jesus from the dead was the power of what? The what? The Holy Spirit. And he says that that Holy Spirit is living where? Living in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. We go to 1 Corinthians I'll get it to click here in just a second. First Corinthians chapter three and verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. Uh, that's not the right verse. I, I sent you the wrong verse there, Neil. Um, this passage in 1 Corinthians talks about how that our bodies are temples and who dwells in those temples? The Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians, he talks about that in two ways. He talks about um, this idea of when we are joined together, we are a temple of praise, okay, and that the Spirit is in our presence, that God is in our presence, but also in a very individual way, that we have this community of temples, if you will, the church, and at this moment, because of us gathering together, guess who is in our presence? The Spirit of God, but also we are individual temples, and he talks about this, like I said, in both situations here, and he says, remember that the Spirit dwells within you, I think that it is an amazing showing of love and acceptance that God says, I'm going to take my spirit and let it live in you. Now, the question becomes, what does that do for us? Here's the passage, 3 verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. So what benefit? Well, so what? God's Spirit lives in me. What does that mean? What's the benefit? Like I said, last, the first week, the first week we talked about the benefit of our relationship with God the Father and the fact that we had been chosen. We're God's favorite. He adopted us into his family. Last week we talked about the relationship from the aspect of we, Jesus has redeemed us. He's bought us back from sin. And so, with that same thing, we're going to look today at some ideas of, of what's the benefit of this relationship. If I'm going to have the Holy Spirit living in me, there has to be a benefit to it. God wouldn't just give it to me if there wasn't something that benefited my life. So, we go to our text today. I made new, new batteries. Okay, take your Bibles, Ephesians chapter one. Verses 13 and 14. Let's read this passage together, and then let's break it down and let's talk about it. And you also were included in Christ. when you heard the message of the truth, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit? guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of his glory all right let's back up and let's begin to break this down the first thing and we're, this whole section is kind of centered around the Holy Spirit but there's some other things I want to talk about to you about as we get to that spot the first thing he says and you also were included in Christ and, and I think that's a powerful thing for us for us to remember that there was a time in the in the history if you will will of God and his relationship with man, that only one group of people were God's chosen people there at a certain time. Who were they? The Jews, the people of Israel. Great story of the Old Testament, beautiful story of the Old Testament. And there was a time that if you weren't in that kind of group, that you were not really chosen of God. You were on the outside looking in, in many situations and in many cases. But here, as Christ has come, and and the church now is mainly made up of Gentiles or non-Jewish people, and we kind of forget that it's a big deal that God said, I'm gonna include you. That God said, I'm gonna make you a part of this family. I'm going to adopt you into this. and. The the way that the Holy Spirit ties into that is when, especially when you think about the time of Jesus and and the heyday of of this kind of part of the story of, of the Bible is when God's people were the Jewish people, where did God dwell? In the what? In the temple, in the tabernacle. But he dwelt in their presence, he could go outside in Jerusalem, and they could look up onto the Temple Mount, and they could see the temple, especially in the day of Jesus, as the Roman government had come in and had just made this temple this majestic-looking building, and and it had gold, you know, pieces around it, and, and it, just, it just glimmered in the sun. Josephus said that it was a sight to be seen when the sun beamed down upon it, and, and you could just see it for miles and miles. It was a, a beautiful sight, but you could look at that place and you could go, God is right there. God is right there. And there was a sense of pride in that. And now, as we've read from 1 Corinthians now that we're chosen, now that we've been brought into the family as Gentiles, we can look at ourselves and we can say, hey, I'm included. And the reason that I know that I'm included is because where does God live? He lives in me. I want you to say that with me this morning. Say, he lives in me. Say it. He lives in me. And I I want you to understand the power of that and the importance of that. Because no other, no other religion in the world teaches that type of power from their God, from their leader. God says, I'm going to give you part of who I am. I'm going to include you in the most inclusive fashion. And it is, and it is such a powerful thing to think about. There's another thing that I want you to think about with me from this verse before we get to the Holy Spirit stuff, and that comes in this next phrase, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you heard the message of truth. There is a very powerful statement there, and and that is that that idea is is so true that before. Before God can do his work, okay? Before God can do his work, before Jesus can do his work, before the Holy Spirit can really do his work, do you know what has to happen? You have to hear the gospel. You have to hear the gospel. Now, um, where do you hear the gospel? Where do you hear the gospel? Think about that question for a moment. Where do you hear the gospel? How many of you, when you hear that question, the the the, the immediate answer that comes to mind is you hear the gospel at church. Okay, for many people, that's that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind. And, and if you think about it for a second, let's 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 look back into our history for just a moment. Just back a couple of generations—not even really that far. Um, uh, you think about maybe the churches that you grew up in. The, the gospel, if you will, the plan of salvation, those type of things, uh, were something that was preached at least every other week, whether you needed to hear it or not, right? Uh, I mean, my, my granddaddy, I love my granddaddy. I, 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 I really just love, listen, I, he's, he's had a stroke and it's so sad to me, but I was so blessed. I was so blessed back during the shutdown that he was part of the teaching rotation at Savannah. And we, I would be able to get home after our Wednesday night lives, I would be able to, because they were after us, I'd be able to get home and get on Savannah's live feed and watch my granddaddy teach every Wednesday night. And he, he preached for over 60 years. And I mean, was still in full time ministry at Savannah. I just, even, even at at 80 years old, I just hung on every word that he would teach. I just loved listening to him. But we had a lot of conversation about the way preaching has changed in the generations from his generation to my generation, the churches that many of you grew up in. Though, and this is just church culture as a whole has changed. People would come to church to hear those type of things. Conversions happened during the church services. If you think back, I mean, there again, it's just a change in culture. Um, the churches that maybe you grew up in, or even if you just rewind, you know, 10 or 15 years from that, from, from where we are today backwards, just people responding publicly doesn't happen as much anymore, does it? It's just a change in church culture. It's not a bad thing because I have a lot of conversations with people through the week that I would call responses that they're just not comfortable walking up front and talking about these things. And so they do it in a more, in a more private manner. Those, those moments still happen. It's just the way that they look are different. And, and our preaching has, has changed. I'm not going to say it's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just something that's happened. But church in, in the culture that we live in, the worship service, if you will, is not our main point of evangelism anymore. It's not our main point of evangelism anymore. People are not coming to our worship service to be evangelized like they were 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Culture has changed. So let's go back to this idea. If people are going to hear the gospel and they're not coming to the worship service to hear this anymore, world culture has changed, then what does that mean? That means it is so much more important for you to be able to defend your faith, share your faith, share the gospel so that people can hear the message of truth and the gospel of salvation. Because like I said, culture changes; They're not coming here to get that anymore. It's just the way it is. And so it's so important that you become that light that shines and shows the world this message. Paul puts it this way. I want you to go. I'm, this isn't on the screen because I want you to see this in your Bible. Go to Romans chapter ten. And if you don't have some of you are going to have it underlined. If you don't have it underlined, I want you to underline this in your Bible. Romans chapter ten. How can how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one? of whom they have not heard, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they? Without what? What's that last phrase? Without someone what? Preaching to them. Now, that word preach, really, it hangs us up a little bit. Okay, it hangs us It's a church word, you know. I'm gonna make a dictionary of church words one day. Um, but we associate preaching with what? What I'm doing right now, right? We associate preaching with what I'm doing right now. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the idea of someone sharing that news with them. The point of what Paul is saying there in Romans is, how are these people going to hear the message of the truth and the gospel of their salvation unless someone does what? Talks to them. Talks to them. Um, Where's Opie? How many people we have here this morning, Opie? One, three, three. 133 people here in the auditorium this morning. Now, we can take off a few of those for for being kids or whatnot, but let me ask you a question. How many people do you think that I have contact with every week? How many people do you think I have contact with every week that I would have the opportunity to share the gospel with? You know, to be honest with you, it's not as large as you think. Jonathan can can attest to this. Most of our interaction, Jonathan, through the week is with what? Church members, right? People who are already saved. Just the nature of our job, the nature of what we do. Most of our interaction with people every week is with church members, people who are already saved. 133 of you, minus two, The rest of you interact with so many more non-church members than your two ministers do day in and day out. Just think about the reach that we have as a congregation of people, of believers, to spread this message and the importance that it is for you to share your faith with other people. You see, I know that for some of you, that scares you. Some of you, you know, we can. We, I've heard, you know, what if I don't know the answers? I don't study enough. 148 is what it says. 148 of us, all right. But what if we took that serious? What if we understood the power of being chosen by God? The power of, of well, what if we let the power of being redeemed by Jesus be so massive in our life And the fact that he gives us his Holy Spirit, and we want other people to have that as well. What if we took that so serious that we made sure I'm gonna share this message? I'm gonna share this message. Because if we don't share this message, then hey, I've got the Holy Spirit, but I've not done anything to share it with other people, to let them experience it, to let them have it. And then we just kind of become keepers of the fish tank instead of fishers and fishermen of men and that's what we need to be about, and that's an important thing in this verse. It's easy to kind of get lost as you're focusing on God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but it's the importance of our relationship with God and the fact that he wants us to share that with other people, so that's a challenge for you today. As a matter of fact, as we think about that, as we think about that, let's just pray about that for a moment, okay? I want you to take just a moment, just a moment, And I want you to pray silently for opportunities this week to share your faith and to have the courage and the strength. And then I'm gonna pray for us as a whole. So just take a moment and pray for yourself and then I'll pray for us as a whole. God, we just thank you for this powerful passage today, for the challenge of this passage on a very personal level. And God, I just pray that, that you will open doors for each and every one of us this week to give us the opportunity to, to share our faith, to let our light shine, to not be afraid of sharing the good news because it is good, God. It is so good. And, and, and it's so easy to just keep it to ourselves and to let our fear overcome us, to let our, our what we perceive as shortcomings in our faith hold us back. And God, I just pray that you remove those barriers this week and just let us talk about you to other people. It doesn't have to be in-depth Bible study. As a matter of fact, God, we know that most Bible conversations about you, most spiritual conversations can start without book chapters and verses, but simply just talking about our lives and how you've blessed each and every one of us and how you've helped us overcome. Help us to just have those conversations when they come our way, God. Help us to be a church that shares the good news and the hope of salvation with everyone in this community. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, let's move on to the Holy Spirit. What are the benefits of the Holy Spirit as we get to this next part? He starts out, he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This ties us all the way back to Acts chapter two and verse 38. When those people believed, what did they do? He says, You repent and you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the Holy Spirit. And the very first thing that this passage, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does a lot more for us. We're just focusing in on this text today to give you a baseline. He says that we were marked in him with a seal. We were marked in him with a seal. And this idea, I think, carries two thoughts. Number one is the thought of ownership, it's the thought of ownership. Um, during the days of Jesus and even during the early days of, of, of our country, and, and they may still do it today, um, but when you have cattle or different things like that and you wanted to make sure that everybody knew that those were your cows, what would you do with them? With a hot iron. You brand them. You'd put your seal on those things. And so that every time someone saw that horse, they saw that cow, they saw whatever it is, if it had your seal on it, they knew that belongs to so-and-so. That's their cow. And you could try to steal it, but hey, look, it was marked, it was sealed, and you knew that, You you couldn't hide that. You couldn't hide that. And that's the first idea that we have here with the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is our seal, is our mark that says we belong to God. We belong to God. We don't belong to this earth anymore. We don't belong to Satan. As a matter of fact, if you're following with us, I told you Wednesday night, that um, in, I think, where were we, around chapter 12, chapter 13, we talk about the mark of the beast and the very next chapter talks about those being sealed with the name of God. This is a reference back to the Holy Spirit. It's, you know, these people over here were sealed with, with seals of the Roman Empire, okay? And they said, this is who we follow. This is what we do. This is the direction we're going. But he said, there's gonna be some of you who have my name who were sealed by me, who followed me. And people knew that they were Christians because they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that, and that Holy Spirit just came out in their lives. And when people saw that, they realized, hey, there's something different about these people. They follow something different and greater and higher. So the first idea here is that we are marked, we are sealed, okay? The next idea behind the idea of seal is a promise of delivery. It's a promise of delivery. I want you to think about your mail for just a moment. When you, when you mail a package, what do you have to have on your package for it to go somewhere? A what? A what? a stamp. And then even beyond that, the Postal Service has to have another stamp of some sort that says, this is where it was from, you know, this is where it was from, this is where it was going. There are seals on those packages, and when they put those seals on those package, you are guaranteed what? It guarantees the what? The delivery of those packages. And and, and not just delivery, but delivery intact. And we have this seal of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us that it is the Holy Spirit's job to work within us, to help us grow, to help us mature so that he can then on the day of judgment deliver us intact to God. Not marred by sin, not covered by the stains of the world, but holy and perfect. Now you may think I can't be holy and perfect. You can when the Spirit of God dwells within you on a spiritual level before God. But he says, look, I'm marking you, you're mine, you belong to me now, and also it promises that I'm going to be delivered to God in the best state possible. But Let's move on and think about something else for just a moment. He also says, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession To the praise of his glory. You know, one of the things that we've struggled with, there's a phrase that we've struggled with in the churches of Christ for a long, long time, and it's once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. A lot of times we are more along the lines of once saved, always in doubt you know we're always like if you do this you're going to lose your salvation if you can't do this you're losing you know we're more focused on on what could make us lose our salvation than the assurance that listen once i am saved by god i can live my life in a way in a godly way walking in step with the spirit and i can know for sure that i am always saved Do you believe that this morning? That as long as you walk in the fellowship with God, as long as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you have fellowship with him. You can know for a fact today that you are saved and that you can always be saved. There doesn't need to be any doubt in your mind if you're walking in the spirit. And that's what he says here. He says that our Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What is our inheritance? Is it in this world? What is our inheritance? It's on the other side of eternity. It's on the other side of our death. And he says, hey, look, the Holy Spirit is here as a deposit guaranteeing you that that's where you're going. Now, here's what we've done with that deposit many times. Um, when you buy a house, what do you have to put down? A down payment, okay? Let's say I'm buying Jud's house. I'm gonna give Judd a down payment on his house. I say I give Judd a $10,000 check today to buy his house. Judd's like, I take it, okay? And then I'm gonna make payments and the rest. But I give Judd $10,000 check, a deposit on this house. And what if Judd keeps that $10,000 check in his pocket for the next 20 years? Does Judd have $10,000? This is yes. This is no. This is I have no clue. Would Judd have $10,000 if he had a $10,000 check in his pocket? Technically, yes, right, sin? But if he keeps that check in his pocket, is it benefiting him at all? Not at all. And we've done that with the Holy Spirit sometimes. God gives us this deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We take out our wallet, and we put that check in there. We fold it up. We put it in our pocket, and we go on. And we don't ever truly live in the Spirit. We don't walk in the Spirit. We don't fellowship with the Spirit. We struggle with that. But he says here, you can know that that deposit is guaranteed. And Paul uses those phrases, walk in the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit, that as long as we're walking that way, hey, we're gonna be okay. Now, does Paul also say in 1 Thessalonians, don't put out the Spirit's fire? Yeah. He does. He says, don't put it out because then you're going to be in trouble. But as long as you let that fire burn, as long as you walk in those steps, I have a guarantee of my inheritance. That should make me feel good. That should encourage me. That should make me feel that I have this special relationship with God and it should bring my level of life up not down. I should find hope in that. I should find encouragement in that. And that comes from our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that this morning? Okay, well, thank you, Judd. What about the rest of you? Can you say amen to that this morning? That's not as good as your good morning, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Listen, there's a lot of things that we could talk about this morning about the Holy Spirit. There's one thing that I read so many years ago that I want to leave you with. And then we're going to read this whole section in its entirety as we close. But this one preacher I read one time, he put it like this, because we struggle with what does the Holy Spirit do and not do? And as you think about it, I love this illustration. He says, The Holy Spirit's distinctive role is to fulfill what we may call a floodlight ministry in relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ. When floodlight, when floodlighting flood is well done, the floodlights are placed so that you don't see them. In fact, you're not supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The instant effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness. Maximize its uh, dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you can see the property. This perfectly illustrates the role of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. The Holy Spirit's role, and if you look throughout the story of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's role outside of this individual role that we have with him is to always shine a light on Jesus. So if we're living our life in step with the Spirit, we're going to live a life, as we sang just before this sermon, that Jesus is going to shine in. Jesus is going to be the most important. Jesus is going to be radiant. Jesus is going to be the focal point of everything. As we close this morning, I want you to stand up with me. I like how we did this last week. Stand with me. Not all at one time. Come on now. And I want us to read this passage together one more time in its entirety. We've not read it in its entirety yet. But just listen to these words, and let's praise God for it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure when he purposed in Christ to be put into full effect when the time reaches their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under earth. who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this amazing passage, for this amazing outflowing of praise that Paul just starts and just goes on and on and on talking about how wonderful you are. Help us to have that same view of you today a view that helps us understand the power of our relationship with you as our Father, with Jesus as our Savior, and with the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our salvation. God, you are so wonderful. You're the beginning, the end, the Alpha, the Omega. You're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Help us to put you in the most prominent place in our life so that everything in our life revolves around you. Help us to live the, Paul, the life that Paul talks about in Philippians where if it's not about you, if it's not focused on you in our life, that it's just garbage. It's something that we don't need. Help us to have that type of dedication to you today. God, I know that there are those here who are probably struggling in their faith and their walk that that walking in step with the Spirit may seem to be a little more difficult than maybe it had been in the past. God, help them to know today that they can get back in line with you, that they can confess their sins, they can repent of their sins, God, and they can get back into step and that their life will be back in line with your guarantee. God, I know there are those here who are lacking their salvation, who have never received this gift of salvation, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit, not ever at all. And God, today, help them know that their life is empty, that their life is not to the fullest, and ultimately, God, that their life is leading them to hell. As hard as that is to to rationalize and say, God, without you, that is the direction that we live. Convict them this morning, God, to change. Convict them to want this salvation, this freedom from their sin, to be chosen by you. Just prick their hearts, God. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and his guarantee. Thank you for you as our Father and for choosing us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.
0: If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to join us again and until then remember we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.